waiting. The text for the sermon is uh, taken from the gospel, and straightway his ears were open, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plain. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Uh, let's begin, as always, this morning by uh, uh, pl placing uh, the gospel for today in context. The gospel for today comes out uh, comes at the very at the very end of uh, Mark chapter seven. Uh, chapter seven and chapter fifteen of Matthew have many parallels, and in fact, only a few months back on uh, Lent two, we had a portion of Matthew fifteen, same context, same geographical in, uh, context and event uh, given for that Sunday's gospel. And that was the occasion when the Greek woman. Uh, came to Jesus and asked him to free her daughter from demon possession. I'm sure you all remember that. Uh, and you probably recall that his first response to her was not very encouraging uh, when he said, is it right to give food of the children to the dogs? That would have put me off entirely. But not this woman. Uh, she wasn't dissuaded. And her faith in Christ prevailed and her daughter was set free. Uh, same event exactly recorded in Mark 7. The healing of the man who is both deaf uh, and had a disabling speech impediment is the last account given in chapter 7, the one chapter that we're talking about. Uh, the chapter opens with the arrival uh, from Jerusalem of an official delegation of Pharisees and scribes who have come, been dispatched to inspect Jesus and his movement. After joining up with local Pharisees, he confronts Jesus with the fact that his disciples were not performing. This is the issue that always comes up. They're not performing the ablutions of purification prior and after eating. Are y'all with me, everybody? Okay. That's the deal. That's what they bring up in all of the Gospels. Uh, good, it, it, good Jews, as you all know, at least good Pharisees, were expected to wash their hands uh, with a handful of water before and after eating the meal. Now, remember that Jesus had already turned the water into wine at the wedding feast, making that ritual of purification simply impossible uh, for that crowd to perform. Afterward, his disciples took it up, took that up uh, as a mark of discipleship, not to perform that ritual. And the Pharisees have come now noticing that fact repeated over and over again, they've come to pick a fight, and they got one. Uh, they complained that Jesus, uh, to Jesus as his disciples were not being holy, and Jesus replied uh, by saying, well, let's sit down and talk about this. No, that's not what he said. He didn't say that. Jesus replied that they, the Pharisees, knew nothing about holiness, uh, and in fact, uh, they knew nothing uh, they were hypocrites, and their worship was worthless. One gets the impression from the text uh, that, the, uh, that, that he, he then literally turned around and walked away. He appears to be finished with the Pharisees. He called his followers together to teach them what the argument was all about then. So now he's going to give, give a commentary, and they record this for our benefit. At this point, 
I submit to you that things were about to change in a sweeping way that no one could have predicted at this point. No one but Jesus would have imagined. And this is because this is when he says, there's nothing outside a man which by going into him can defile him. But the thing which comes out of a man are what defile him. This, as Mark saw, was a sea change, a reversal that no Jew had ever imagined. Let me explain. Back to the hand washing. Some scholars say that that washing issue is not an argument over the law of Moses, but rather it's an argument over the tradition of the Pharisees that were added to the law of Moses. They want to say that Jesus was not all that radical in his approach to the law. Uh, Others uh, also wanting to de-radicalize Jesus say that the issue was that the Pharisees were applying the specific requirements of a priest, which absolutely is true, to the Jewish laity. Uh, And that part of it may be true. They were the requirements of the priest. Maybe that's what they're uh, 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 applying to uh, the uh, uh, Jewish uh, laity. Um, These folks are probably right about what the Pharisees intended because in a sense the Pharisees wanted the priesthood of the believer uh, from their point of view uh, because from their all, all really serious uh, Jews would, uh, are called to priestly purity. There are other explanations to what Jesus said. You can read about them in all kinds of commentaries uh, uh, at this occasion, but they all seem attempts to pasteurize, to de-radicalize, what he finally did, which was about to knock the Jewish world, certainly those Jews that followed him, off the axis. Uh, even if the traditions, listen to what I'm saying, even if that's accurate, even if the traditions that he refers to uh, are commentaries on the law, not the law itself, once he explained to his people what was going on, all ambiguity it vanishes. There is nothing outside a man which by going into him can defile him. But that which comes out of a man are the things which come out of a man are they that defile him. Okay, so what's so, what's so radical about that? Well, Mark, and you can read it for yourself, verse 19, Mark declares the upshot of the pronouncement in one simple sentence. Thus he declared all foods clean. That was way before Paul was having an argument about this issue. Way before Peter was having an argument and saw the vision of Joppa. This is, this is in the midst of his, of his ministry that he declares all foods clean. That's what I want you to understand. Jesus did not claim that He was clearing up Israel's muddled thinking on the issue of food and law of Moses. It was not uh, that at this time they had just misunderstood Moses. Uh, No, this is what Jesus did. At that moment and at that place, he changed the law by this apocalyptic announcement, all foods are clean. So why is that so radical? 
one may ask. Food, the food laws of Leviticus uh, were, were central to the whole concept of purity and holiness for Jewish culture and Jewish identity, along with circumcision, circumcision and keeping the Sabbath. Look how much, see, how these two things come up over and over again, uh, especially the Sabbath in, in the Gospel of John. Along with those, the dietary laws were a public mark of Jewish holiness. They were a peculiar people set apart by God, uh, made holy, and the dietary laws were an outward and visible sign of their holiness. Right? You're with me. You're following me on this. That was most of you. Okay. The law, the dietary law, also made it impossible for Jews to share meals prepared by non-Jews. Literally, literally, that is the case. It was a wall of petition that divided Jews from the rest of the world. And this was the moment when Jesus himself eliminated that wall that stood between Jew and Gentile. Thus he declared all foods clean. Now it should come to no surprise then what happened. Right after that, Jesus leaves for the region of Tyre and Sidon Gentile cities, once again, Gentile cities. Jesus takes his ministry into a pagan territory, uh, and when he arrived, when he arrives to his destination, he enters the home uh, of a uh, resident, a Gentile mother, then approaches him begging for the healing of her child, and you know that story. So what is what? Uh, what is a Jewish Messiah doing in a pagan city? Why is the Jewish Messiah entering the unclean dwelling of a Gentile? He freed the gen he frees the woman's child from the demon. Then he moves, and then he just moves on. Uh, and yet again, later on, he circles back around to the Decapolis, another non-Jewish setting. So here we have the context of the gospel for today and the healing of this man, and they bring unto him, this is in Decapolis, one that was deaf and had an impediment of speech, and they beseech him to put his hands upon him. According to the text, Jesus healed the man, and when he, uh, and he could hear uh, for the first time in his life, and he could speak clearly, and straightway, uh, his ears were open, and the string of his Tongue was loosed and he spake plainly. The people's response to the healing was overwhelming. They were astonished beyond measure. That's what the text says. Uh, the miracle absolutely overawed everyone who was there, and they respond. It's almost like a chorus response uh, in, in a play, because and they all said, "He hath done all things well. He maketh the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak." Why were the people amazed beyond measure at this miracle? Mark, also overwhelmed, uses an illusion that tells us why, and the illusion is to Isaiah 35. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He will come and save you. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the tongue of the dumb will sing for joy. So with that connection, this is Mark's, Mark's understanding. And remember, 
Mark is actually recording Peter's sermons. So he's, in a manner of speaking, Mark, uh, Mark is Peter's amanuensis. Uh, with that connection, Mark declares uh, that the miracle that they just saw, according to the Old Testament, is a miracle that only God performs. Only God can perform. It's a creative miracle. So we have three big events in Mark 7 uh, I want you to take note of. First of all, Jesus declares uh, declared the fundamental, uh, fundamental portion of the law of Moses to be null and void when he declared all foods clean. Secondly, he enlarges the horizon of the Messiah's ministry to include all those non-Jews who had been excluded on the basis of the dietary law. And thirdly, he wraps it all up by performing a miracle that identifies him not merely as the Messiah, but as God come unto his people. I can tell you uh, what the Messiah was doing was exactly what he said he was going to do, what the prophet Isaiah said, he was busy uh, saving his people. According to Genesis, God created man in his own image and likeness. Man's glory had been forfeited uh, through the fall, and he was wounded into death, and as a result, all manner of evil came upon the world. You know that story. The prologue of John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, 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 and the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten Son of the Father. In Genesis, we have the narrative of man made in the image of God, while in John, we have God made in the image of man. In both cases, but especially the Incarnation, we have the glory of God dwelling in flesh. And with the incarnation, we see not only the uncreated glory of the unbegotten, uh, uh, only begotten Son of the Father, uh, but we see the created glory of the creature lifted up as never before, joined and participating in the infinite love of God the Father. And I submit to you that salvation, the salvation, the uplift of man, the bestowal of this glory, was in fact the very purpose of the incarnation. Uh, and the, 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 the gospel for today, uh, we have an apostolic memory of Jesus the Messiah breaking down the barriers, breaking down the boundaries, eliminating portions of law of Moses, and performing miracles that only God performed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.